When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Welcome back to the Love Tennis Podcast, where we are all back in our boxes. Calvin's back in Barnsley, I'm back in London, George is back in... Well, which part of the world are you in, George? London, Dalston. Muted London, as you went with there. That was a pretty bold move early on. Um, We've got loads to talk about, of course. I'm going to apologise for the delay to this podcast um i had several messages on monday going where's your post french open final podcast we wanted to give it justice and have all three of us and do a full hour and i felt that i should at least spend some time with my partner on monday night uh, having been away for two weeks so um she she didn't fancy the pod weirdly uh but she, but she's been pied off this evening uh, so that we can get um, some chat about Rafa Nadal out of the way. We'll talk as well about Emma Raducanu, who was in action in Nottingham today. I was there for all 35 minutes of it. Uh, we'll talk a bit about Iga Shontek as well. Alexander Zverev has had surgery. We'll discuss what we think that means for him. We'll talk about the news that WTA might be negotiating 50% points for Wimbledon and whether you really can be half pregnant or not. Uh, and we'll also discuss Calvin's incredible doubles team, which I had the pleasure of watching this afternoon. However, George, you, you already have something to say. I have an early pressing question. I wonder what Calvin's drinking. Well, why, why would you ask that when you know Calvin is currently eating? <laughs> <laughs> like, like you just like just like completely mugged us off like i reckon we can get through the first five minutes of this podcast without anyone knowing calvin's currently having his dinner <laughs> i just saw him have a big pint or something i was like i really want to know what's of, in that still still vimto still vimto you see it was worth asking james because i thought it was like a really rogue northern ale but that's even no. better it's just vimto it's vimto right. yeah okay and i mean and grown-ups drink that, do they? Um, yeah, to the best <laughs> the best dilute that you can get. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. As long as you get the full sugar one, don't mess right. around with the no added sugar because that's yeah. just crap. <laughs> right. Well, there goes our uh, there goes our sponsorship from no added sugar Vimto, I suppose. Um, 
let's let's move on. Let's talk about Rafa Nadal. Uh, he won the French Open, as we said he would. Uh, I, I think pretty much, George, you and I did a, a quick preview on Sunday morning before the final. Uh, I think it pretty much went, and I hate to say this, exactly as you said it would. Uh, Nadal... <laughs> romping through the final i think you said fewer than seven games i think uh, I, I did say fewer than nine but actually said he would win about seven i think he won six in the end yeah so. you've done pretty well there i give you some credit i mean was there anything that was unexpected there or did you just clean up the bookies because you were so confident <laughs> i actually the funny thing is rude actually exceeded my expectations in terms of how the match went um mm. i thought he played actually some quite good stuff like early in the second set particularly i thought rafa was like a very weird thing to say when he's won three three in love but i thought he was really poor like i I think rafa was totally totally takeable in that match um Mm. by someone who wasn't playing the first french open final um but you know he there's been images of him walking around after the match barely able to hobble about and as i as i kind of said earlier in the week you know, I, I still can't believe Djokovic didn't beat him. To be honest, mm. that that's the that's the one result I can't get over. Like, I don't think Nadal was in that great shape playing that good tennis. Apart from that first set against Djokovic, just was a really weird match from his side. And you know, obviously, all praise to Nadal. He's done an amazing feat winning this. I don't understand how he's been injecting himself to the point of getting through when you can see he's in so much pain and he deserves immense credit for just being there, being hardened, being just doing what he does best there. But I think Djokovic has to be looking at this as a total missed opportunity from my end. Um, we should, because this is the first time we've spoken since Rafa did his sort of big reveal. Um, he had throughout the tournament said, look, my foot's sore and I'm dealing with it, but I don't really want to talk about it anymore. Kind of out of respect to his opponents to a certain extent, I think, but also probably because he didn't want people knowing too much about how bad it really was because of what that might give them. Just to kind of give you a precy of what he said after that, uh, he revealed he'd been having multiple injections before every match during the French Open uh, into two nerves in his foot to try and limit the pain that he was having there. Uh, He then said that he cannot continue this way. He's not going to do that again at a tournament. They're exploring other options. Um, He has now, I believe, today in Barcelona had what's called a radiofrequency nerve ablation which I'm told is basically like a long-term anaesthetic, but it's quite specific. You essentially kind of um, confuse the nerve into not sending pain signals to the brain, um, and it could give him a bit more relief from the pain in his foot uh, that might allow him to play. Yes, George, you mentioned that. There are some amazing videos. If you go to my Twitter, you'll see one of them, of him doing his photo shoot with a trophy and like full-on hobbling like full-on Andy Murray peak hobble, uh, like he's got something in his foot. I mean, he does. It's a big hole in one of his metatarsals. Um, he says he will try and play Wimbledon. His um, agent, Benito, was very angry with one Spanish journalist who wrote a story in Marker that he wasn't going to play Wimbledon. Practically had him up against the wall in a press centre, which was extremely <laughs> amusing. Uh, and the whole British desk were aware that this was about to happen and everyone turned around to watch um, it was a proper popcorn moment. He says he wants to play Wimbledon. He says he can't give a clear answer that he will because he doesn't know if this um, procedure is going to work. He he also was pretty clear that if it doesn't work, 
they're going to have to think about surgery and there is no guarantee that the surgery will work or will get him back to a level where he can play tennis. Um, Calvin, Raf Nadal has cried wolf quite a few times before and I wonder if you think this is him crying wolf again or, or whether this really is actually last chance saloon. No, I think he's. I think he. We've got to take him at face value on this one. I think he's. Um, he clearly is hampered. I mean, I'm amazed that he ended up winning that tournament. If if mm. you'd have said that he'd end up winning the tournament when he was what two sets to one down to Felix or two sets to one up, I can't remember which one it was. But as they started the fifth set of the match with Felix, I would have I would have given him five or six percent chance of winning the tournament from mm. there. D- Go on, George. Just, just to say, the the only thing I won't take him at face value at is he's going to play Wimbledon, or even considering it, I'd be absolutely amazed if he turns up. To be honest, um, and that's I, not like me saying saying he's a liar or whatever. But we've just been here before so many times, and seeing the state of him after that match, I, I just find that totally impossible to believe at the minute. I think he's trying to kind of best case scenario it. There's also you have to remember they are. Like, they are contractually obliged not to say that they are not playing a certain tournament until they have officially withdrawn. Um, I was reading the Grand Slam handbook the other day, and there is a clause that says, you must not say that you have withdrawn from a tournament until you have told the tournament themselves, which is quite interesting. So it's why you do sometimes say players say, well, look, that's the plan at the moment, you know, straight after certain tournaments, they'll get asked, so yeah, you're going to play here because people know they're already entered. And they will say, yeah, that's the plan because they're sort of legally not allowed to say anything else. So there is an element of that with Nadal as well. Um, He is on the entry list at present and he hasn't been withdrawn yet. I also think he is best case scenario and he desperately hopes that this radio frequency nerve ablation does work and that he is able to play Wimbledon. There's also the um the calendar slam is still on. Mm. And he might think there's a chance he might think, can I get through Wimbledon and then I've got two months off to get myself ready for the US Open. It's not like he needs to play any kind of hard um hard court schedule. Mm. You know, yeah. so I, I, I I my feeling is he probably won't play Wimbledon, but I think I don't know how desperate he is. That slam is that hardcore slam is winnable because for mm. the first time in a good few years, Djokovic is not such a massive favourite in the slams. You'd even make I'd even make him probably fully fit or as fit as he can hope for. I'd make him at least joint favourite for Wimbledon, Nadal, if um if he got if if he played it. Um and US Open in the top three, I I wouldn't make him joint favourite at Wimbledon, but I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, in fact, I must be right in saying this that the, I think this is the first time he's ever been on for the calendar Grand Slam at this point. Because the only other year he won the Australian Open, he he famously didn't win the French Open because Federer won it. So, mm. in terms of temptation, that that's a fair point from Calvin. Um, in terms of being rated the same favourite as Djokovic, who's won it about five times and has looked virtually untouchable there the last few years so I'll uh, put a pin in that one I think. Yeah but I mean I think the point Calvin's making is that Djokovic does look fallible at the moment, he looks flat, I mean he definitely had some really flat spells against Nadal. Um, I think he's only looked flat against Nadal, I don't I don't really agree. Yeah but he didn't really play before that. And he, he, I mean 
No, but I mean, in like the previous tournaments, he was kind of building up, getting stronger and stronger. Like that, I've, that match was more of an anon- anomaly for me than necessarily every other match he played. About, I'm not saying I'd, I'd say for about seven or eight years, he's looked like he's absolutely certain he can beat Nadal in any mm. circumstance. And then the other day, he looked like he didn't know how to beat him. Mm. Um, and I think there's some confidence drop. I think if you factor that in, I'd. I'd st- yeah, maybe I'd still make Djokovic slight favourite, but not not by much at all. This is mm. look, this is not the same Djokovic as we had last year or two years ago. This is mm. a big drop, and you know, Natal just seems ageless. The guy just like doesn't care. Apart from the in- like, that's the mad thing. Apart from the injuries, he doesn't seem to be physically any worse than he was when he was twenty-one. <laughs> Um, it's worth pointing out as well that you know you mentioned the the Wimbledon threat, and I was thinking when you said Nadal might be favourite, might be second favourite. I mean, Alexander Zverev isn't going to be there. Daniil Medvedev, and he wouldn't be a favourite out of him anyway. I no, but like he's, <laughs> he's 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 they're both like Zverev yeah. and Medvedev, are both guys you would put in the conversation. Neither of them are going to be there. Andrei Rublev isn't going to be there, which I know isn't a big deal. Matteo Berrettini says he will play but equally hasn't played for best part of three months and has had hand surgery you know you're kind of running you know you're kind of saying well Carlos Alcaraz Big Marin Cilic I mean you can't rule him out I don't know if I can cope he's with probably enough. he's probably put himself back in like top four favourites now Cilic given his kind of pedigree well, he's also and ne- performance at the top front top four <laughs> given the absentee give, give the other absentees name me three people who aren't Djokovic, Nadal, Alcaraz that you'd have above Chilich right now based on fitness form and whether they'll play um, the tournament. Nori? <laughs> Felix? Ch- Ch- I mean, everyone Ch- says Felix. Ch- yeah, Felix, yeah. Chilich just played like one good tournament in... Like, He's very good on grass. He's been there once to the final. <laughs> this, what is the One definition of, a couple of times what is, it, what, what is the definition of recency bias with George Belshaw mm. <laughs> like he's, he's, he's pulled in Chilich as one of the so, top four so you're, you're telling me you're telling me Cam Norrie who's never been beyond the third round of a Grand Slam is a bigger favourite to win Wimbledon than a bloke who's just been to the semis on his uh, his worst slam and his best surfaces to... grass. I mean that that no, that's... I didn't say bigger favorite. I said I'd have the. That's what the you same... literally just said. I said I've had them on the same level, <laughs> and neither neither of which are on the top four. Like, City Pass is bigger favorite than Chilich. Yeah, I get behind that. I've always thought City Pass should be good on grass, and he's playing quite a big grass court schedule. Um, Marin Chilich actually done it on grass though. Well, not in his senior career. Uh, as he was at that pains. is quite a big part of his career. Now. <laughs> He's been senior for a while. <laughs> uh, Marin Cilic has only won four matches at Wimbledon since he made the final. I don't know. I don't know if that makes you change your mind at all. No, not really. Right. Okay. Very good. Would you like really. to know who the last match he beat? Who the last person he beat at Wimbledon was? I don't know. He's had a Benjamin of very bad Bonzi. second round. Oh, that's a tough one. To be fair. Right. <laughs> well, I'm, really yeah, I'm looking at the rankings. People who I who I'd have. <laughs> Give at least equal chance of winning Wimbledon as Marin Cilic. Mm. But I think Sitsi, my point... uh, no, since past bigger favorite, Felix bigger favorite, uh, Berrettini bigger favorite. If he's no, fit. but uh, no, that's it. That, that's what I said. I said on her, form her, her and catch fitness. bigger favorite. Yeah, her catch definitely bigger favorite. Fritz, I'd say bigger favorite. No way, come on. Dennis, Fritz has won junior Wimbledon, hasn't he? Shapovalov means nothing. 
Do you know how many junior Wimbledon champions have gone on to win senior Wimbledon? I know for since, a fact that you... since 1998. I know for a fact that you know the answer to this as well, which is annoying. Uh, I'm going to say three or one because I saw. Sorry, actually, since 1992. Oh, okay, that changes everything. Um, three. Calvin. Uh, Federer won it, didn't he? Nadal didn't. Um, Murray didn't. Is it just Federer? It is just Federer since right. the 90s. It's weird, though, that conversely, junior French o- French Open champions have done very well, right? Actually, in the men's game, no. I, Sorry, I was Reece thinking we wrote a piece on this. Yeah, men's game, only, I think I'm right in saying it, only Vavrinka's gone on to win the French, having won it as a junior slam. Right. No, but the men's is a bit skewed at all the slams because it's the same three guys that win nearly every one. Actually, again, though, uh, you can tell I've just done a research piece on this. It, that, yeah, it's actually been the same that, through it's not history. Like good broadcasting, actually, George. Sorry, if you sorry. Keep sorry. mentioning the same sorry. thing. <laughs> I spent far too long reading about this, but right. it's actually I, I thought it was going to be a skewed thing as well, Calvin, and then I went back really far, and it actually just wasn't. Like the no. only people who've won it, like from junior to the mains, have also been people like. Borg and McEnroe. Yeah, but, but I think the, I think the thing is there though is that you get you get a different junior Wimbledon champion every year, whereas you get multiple mm. slam champions. So you yeah. don't get it doesn't correlate in that way. Um, I'd it, like to know that like the and George, you may or may not have done this maths, but it's math, so I'm guessing not. Like I'd like to know the like average number of wins over the next five years of junior Wimbledon champions like that would be quite like just in ter- I, average yeah, number I definitely of haven't match done that. wins I because did, like it's... winning Wimbledon is such like a binary thing like so few people do it but yeah so, so I did like, it, I... so since sorry since 92 so that's 30 years Federer's won how many eight mm-hmm. Federer's won eight Sam Fras has won seven Djokovic has won seven that's 21. That's 22, yeah. sorry, yeah. of the last 30 years. It's not a big okay. field of people who've won Wimbledon, yeah. But but I guess what I'm saying, it, it, it went further than just from winning the same slam as well. It was actually yeah, yeah. kind of true of all the slams, that not many junior slam champions go on to win. I also ones. think junior, yeah, yeah, juniors and men's isn't a great indicator because, like, I think junior women's is usually a pretty good indicator because... I- Junior I women thought are the often... women's was going to be infinitely better. It was stronger, but not as strong as I thought it was going to be. It was interesting. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll dig out the facts at some point and we can do it on another uh, Who podcast. have you written this for, George? Oh, just some YouTube script writing. Like oh, right, okay. Line media. <laughs> yeah, quite fun. Right, very good. Remember, you can follow us on YouTube. Love Tennis yeah. Podcast. All these yeah, pods exactly. go on YouTube. You may even be listening on YouTube as we speak. Um, We've got slightly distracted here, but not in necessarily a bad way. Um, a little tiff. Yeah, we were talking about uh, Rafa Nadal winning his 22nd slam. We didn't think he'd be the first to 21. He is now the first to 22. He's got a two-slam lead. Um, Does this... I know it has for me, but I'll throw it open to the floor. Has this made anyone think about the GOAT debate differently? No, I think it's... It's weird, isn't it? It now seems to have... Like... A year ago, or maybe a bit more, we we used to think that whoever won the most slams was definitely the goat. Yeah. But now that seems to be less of a discussion. I think I mean maybe maybe it's because Federer's just stopped playing so much, and there's so many injuries, and yeah, towards the end, I I don't know. I 
I guess the only thing it's made me think is that we'll probably just remember all three. There'll never be a consensus. It'll just be the three of them forever linked in their legacies. George? Uh, it's not changed it for me because I still think Djokovic is going to go past him and he is typically more motivated when chasing this lot, I think, than mm. he is on top. I think it's Sorry. made me... I mean, it's it kind of just experiencing Rafa Nadal, you know, in person at Roland Garros has been different. You know, it's something I've never done before and I think that has changed things a bit. Um, but it's also made me realise that Rafa Nadal has a year left at best. I mean, I'd be amazed Said that for many years. Well, but this is different somehow. Like, even he, he almost said the word retirement the other day in press. He said, I'm going to do this. And if this doesn't work, then, well, I'm going to have to think about something major and something major, no, that might not work, no. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he just, he almost said it. And he was like, I can't say it because if I say the word retire, all hell will break loose. Um, and he was right, and it almost did anyway. I just think, you know, next year's French Open, that might be that. So do we think he's winning more than the 22 he's got now then? If if he is finishing in a year, is he winning any more slams? Well, he might just like, he might just anaesthetise his entire leg for <laughs> Roland Garros next year, and he could probably still win it. I tell you what was amazing was that I in the whole tournament did he have an injury timeout? It's a great question. Uh... And it was clear. This is what I find fascinating about him is that not fascinating, just to look at in admiration that he's clearly in pain, in mm. brutal mm. pain, and he's not willing to show anything. At although, all. although in fairness, I think actually in Roland Garros, at least during the matches, I don't think he was. Because he he had just basically he couldn't feel his whole foot. He said I couldn't feel my whole foot. It was asleep. So I I think actually the pain was probably waking up the next morning. Like there were um there was an occasion when he trained away from Roland Garros. He trained at Jean Bouin, which is not unreasonable or unusual. But he specifically trained away and only trained for half an hour other than 90 minutes whereas on Saturday he trained on a public court he had a thousand people in there to watch him and he did 90 minutes and more so there, I think there clearly were mornings when he woke up and was like oh my god that's sore and then the doctor puts the needle in and all of a sudden he can't feel his foot anymore and there were moments whether it was pain or not that he just didn't move quite so well there were real dips against Rude where he just didn't look like he had that kind of spark yeah. in his movement. I think, and probably the same against Djokovic, to be fair, you know, the way he was moving in the start of the match compared to sets two and three, where we all just thought the writing's on the wall here. He's not hitting the ball as well. He's slowing down a little bit. It's all going on. I, I think if I don't want to bang on about the Djokovic point too much, but the other thing I would say is that he, he, he got a hell of a get out of jail free card against Zverev, didn't he? I mean, would he have yeah. got through that match? That 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 will be a, a fascinating thing to think about, like the parallel universe where that match goes five sets and they play for six, seven hours. I, I thought Zverev was going to win that, I'll, I'll be honest. Like at that stage of the match, I thought Zverev was actually going to do it, which I don't normally do with Zverev in slam matches that look really tight. You always think something is going to go wrong, but he just felt like he was staying with him the whole time and kind of playing the very, very long game like Can Nadal outlast me. 
and I thought he might win that. He was playing sensibly enough. I'm sure Calvin will tell me I'm utterly wrong on that point. But, you know, it, that was a hell of a break, like for Zverev just to snap at that stage of the match. It was it was really finely poised. Yeah, it, it did. I mean, I don't disagree, but then I'm not sure what was different at the end of the second set to the end of the first set. And Zverev just didn't have the bottle to get the job done. Mm. And I just think that I, I think the same thing would probably have happened in the second set tie break. That it's possible. It's possible. But it, it's more about the on, but, the cumulative damage he was doing. But yeah, but Nadal knows Fellas. Nadal knows that I don't think Nadal fancies Verev at all when the pressure's on. You can, can almost give it like a it was almost a bit like when Federer played Djokovic at 2019. And Djokovic was just sort of clearly thinking, all right, let's get it. I'm playing shit. Let's get it to a tie break and see if you can hit seven winners past me. <laughs> and and Zverev, I, th- I think Djokovic, I think Nadal did the same the other day. He couldn't have put the first set on tie break on a plate anymore for Zverev. He had yeah. like three, sh- I think I think from about five all, he had five mid-court forehands or backhands to hit. And he didn't win any of the points mm-hmm. when he had those. So it's funny that word put it on a plate. There were so many points in matches I felt that from Nadal this year where I was like, they're just not playing well enough to beat him. He's giving them loads of chances. But am I just completely miswatching this? Like, is is Nadal actually just making things so much harder than it looks on TV? Like there were there were just moments in that rude match where I was thinking, God, if someone could hit a back down down the line, they'd be killing him every time here. Or against Djokovic, you know, if Djokovic was actually anywhere near close his best win, or is he just dragging them down? What I don't know. I bet. I bet Stan Wawrinka was watching it, thinking I wouldn't be making these errors. <laughs> give me, give me mid-court forehands or down the line backhands, and I'm cleaning up. Federer was probably thinking the same. Mm. Like Fed was probably because Fed. Don't forget, team. Don't forget the. Oh, here, here, here we are with the, <laughs> with the with the team again. <laughs> George George religiously backing a bloke who hasn't won a match since pre-COVID. Oh, George, George thinking you think my team. You think you think Dominic team was there thinking if I got these four hands I'd be putting them away. Just, <laughs> 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 seen Dominic so 20, team four hands in the last twenty nineteen. Dominic team was thinking that I probably yeah. would, yeah. But I, yeah, I mean Federer, Federer would be the one. Nadal's not beat Federer since when was the last time he beat him? Was it like two thousand fourteen or something? No, I beat him at the French Open, like twenty. Oh, he did. Yeah, he won that 19. one match. Yeah, yeah. What well, that one match of the French, wasn't it? Um, right. Yes, I think <laughs> we've, we're agreeing that Alexander Zverev um, has no bottle. I can certainly get behind that. Um, what do we make of Casper Ruud on the basis of this? He, he's someone who has played an awful lot of clay court tennis. I think he's played forty odd matches over the last twelve months on clay. It, it's almost as though he had targeted this French Open and said, right. I'm going to really sort this this element of my game out. He has, in fairness, played very well on hard courts as well. He got to a Masters final uh, just in Miami, I think I'm right in saying. Um, George, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say he bottled it. I think that's that's unfair. But he, he did admit afterwards that he was overawed by the occasion somewhat. The moments he played really well, though, and, you know, a lot of what he did... <laughs> which is always going to sound weird. Well, what he did was really good. He just then didn't execute it. Yeah, He put himself in a lot of really good positions to hurt Nadal and then just made some terrible errors. I mean, look, some of the match was incredibly unwatchable, I thought, like, mm. from both of them. There were like miscued shots and you know things dropping into the bottom of the net or shanking shots flying off. Um, 
Rude, if anything, just seemed to rush a lot of the time, I think. And that's probably what he's kind of talking about there, that extra weight of pressure thinking, probably thinking, this guy's not playing that well. I'm just not doing my game as well as I have been. Mm. Um, but I, I, again, you know, it's a similar story of Goff in the women's side. I'm not going to be too hard on Rude because that's a first experience for them. They've had really good tournaments. It's been another step forward in their career and they've lost to the the best clay quarter on the planet. So it's not like any great shame in what they've done in this tournament. And I saw as much from Rude, even in defeat to Nadal, to think, okay, once you get these old blokes who just win everything out the way, this guy this guy can have a shot at winning this title at some point down the year. Honestly, mm. he's he's a, he's a very good player. He might get one of Alcaraz's 45 slams. <laughs> he, um, he said afterwards, it was the first time I've experienced to be in the situation of play a Grand Slam final. I don't think it really got to me until I stepped on court today and saw the full stadium and felt like the atmosphere in the crowd. I have to say, again, it was my first French Open final as well, and I hadn't felt that atmosphere. And... Being in Philippe Chatrier for a Rafa Nadal match, it's it's like a Davis Cup tie. It's that level of rowdiness. It's that level of one-sided support. And of course, it's hard to come up and come up against that for the first time. And I think the the other thing is that Nadal gets used to it every match of the tournament. Yeah, like he has that atmosphere all the time. And you know, again, this is something that other players just don't get compared to people like Nadal, Federer, Murray at Wimbledon. They just mm. don't get that sort of atmosphere. And these guys get it everywhere they go. Um, so, yeah, of course, for someone like Casper Ruud to walk in, it's going to be pretty daunting. He's probably played out on stuff like court 14 at points in this tournament. You know, he's he's the eighth seed, but he's not commanding a show court because mm. it's he's a, you know, a Norwegian bloke who'd never been anywhere close to a Grand Slam final before. You know, that might change a little bit for him next year, but he'll only learn from that sort of experience, hopefully, and uh, take it forward. Uh, out of interest, whose dog is barking? It's not, I don't have a dog. It's not mine. George, is that a dog barking at you, outside your window? I can't right. hear a dog oh, at great. all. Oh, interesting. I want, maybe there's a dog in my head. The police sirens were yours, were they? <laughs> You're in quite a dodgy part of North London. I assume the police sirens were yours. I'm in, I'm in a hip part of East London. <laughs> right, okay. But, but could well be me. Yeah. My headphones are a bit noise-cancelling, so there could well be a dog and a police coming from no, my I, I, No, I heard a dog come in through the earphones. That's why I took yeah, my yeah. earphones off. I think George has got a dog and a police car. <laughs> It's exciting. You get everything on the Love Tennis podcast and you can't say it doesn't feel real and you know for a fact that we're not in a studio. Um, let's move on to the women's final because George and I talked about it a little bit but um, we didn't have Calvin's input, of course. Um, Calvin, I, I guess Shrontek was the winner we expected and there's, there's nothing like that but, but it was the final that we wanted and it was also important that Coco Goff, I guess, got the first one out of her system because it did feel a bit like a, a bit of a sort of first-timer, you know? Yeah, um, a bit of that, but I also think, and I think she's great, and I think she's going to be a multiple slam winner, but she's just not as good as Swantec at the minute. I don't think it was really a... In watching it, I don't think it was really a, a case that she froze or anything like that. She's just, her level at the minute isn't isn't as good as Swantec's. Mm. I think it will be. Yeah. Uh, the second serve in particular seems to be a problem, although she kind of denied that afterwards, but I mean, it, it kind of objectively was, and, you know, Svantec returned a bit like, she reminded me a little bit of Serena on those second serve returns, just, you know, getting so far inside the baseline. Um, 
I mean, in terms of trying to improve that, and we, you know, we had a bit of a chat today at Nottingham about levels and players who you think can improve. How does one go about something like the second serve? What do you, what do you do about that? I actually think it's one of the easiest shots to improve, um, especially with with females around about that age. I think if she gets a decent some decent coaching, which I'm not sure if she does at the minute because she goes to Muritoglu's place. Um, <laughs> no, that's been harsh. There are some good coaches there. He's yeah. just not one of them. Right. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it's a shot that, you know, a good coach would feel pretty confident in being able to improve um, yeah. over time. It's not – it's more of an issue if, if your first serve is a problem. Yeah. I think because that would mean you've got some technical flaws, but she doesn't. Her, her service technique is pretty good. Yeah, I think it's just a, a a strength thing and a confidence thing, and maybe just some guidance on how to go about using. Uh, the other thing that kind of went to pieces a bit was her forehand, but um, she made a good point afterwards that she said, "Yeah, there were a lot of forehand errors today, but you know, people don't understand that you don't get the chance to hit a clean forehand against Igor Shantek because." she's invariably putting you in a position where you can't, you know, get a good strike on a forehand. I thought that was a decent point, actually. Watching it live, it felt a lot of the time like Goff was getting to a forehand ball half a step at least, if not more, too late, and then just throwing a racket at it. And I guess inevitably you're going to miss that way. Yeah, to a degree. I should say again there, I'm I'm on the Murray Togler thing, I'm not sure she actually does go there. I think he just jumps in the box. Um, But... Uh, her yeah. dad wears her dad wears all the gear quite religiously, yeah. so I, I don't know what the arrangement is. But I mean, yeah. this is one of the things that really enrages me about tennis, is that we're never quite sure who is coaching who or why or for how long. Or I mean, you know, the Raducanu thing is not unique. There are plenty of times when players will come to a tournament, and one of the first questions someone asks them is oh, can you just clarify who's in your box this weekend? Because there's some bloke we've never seen before. And they're like, oh, yeah, we've got this new coach. And I think people are really interested in that. And it, it actually, in terms of telling stories to like viewers and listeners and readers, it's really important to know who those people are. But I think the players, and I actually have spoken to a couple of agents lately who find the obsession with who's coaching who baffling. And I'm like, but this is how people understand what's going on. They need to know what the team they're supporting is. You know, Calvin, you would hate it if you didn't know who the Manchester United manager was until they turned up on the day. It's been a bit like that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, yeah, I think it happens more on the women's side, though. I, it doesn't happen so much on the men's, I don't think. I mean, I know, I was thinking just the other day, a couple of players who I know were working with certain coaches who have not been in great form, and you think, that's a matter of time. But they don't. They stick with them, and I think you know it's a, it's often it's the right approach. I, I mm. think if you think that 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 person can still help you improve and that kind of thing, and it, and I, it's good to see the players not just lumping all the the blame on a coach. Yeah. But at the same time, sometimes you just need a fresh fresh energy around the court and around the camp. Mm. Um, George, how much do you think Coco Goff's got to give? Like, has this revised your opinion of what or how good Coco Goff is? Um, I think it, it it continues to revise my estimates of how good Sviontek is more than Goff. I I just really struggle to see who's going to be stopping her anytime soon. Like I know, I I still agree with Calvin. I think 
Goff will win multiple slams, but I've always thought Goff will win many slams when we're talking about someone who could get up to maybe 10 slams. Or I famously remember someone saying she'll pass Serena Williams' record when she just first goes <laughs> Sue Barker or something. Sue Barker. So, you know, the hype's been there a long time, but I, I guess Fiontech was someone I've typically before before this year said she should win, you know, three to five slams. Now I'm like, crikey. She, 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 she went three she, to five win. slams this year. Yeah, like she's playing unbelievably. Um, and what Goff's kind of saying about her forehand not working that well against her, I actually think the Goff forehand does is an area that needs a lot of work comparatively. Mm. She is a player I do watch sometimes. I think, oh, the backhand does look significantly stronger in inverted commas and to not vex Calvin. The backhand yeah. is ever a stronger shot than the forehand, but. I think that is a shot that has been a little bit problematic um, in her kind of senior years. But the thing that really stood out to me was just how many easy winnings Fiontek was putting away. I said this on Sunday that they were just landing a yard inside the mm. court and Goff was always like three steps away from them and she'd not been pushed that far wide. I mean, she's hitting so clean, so heavy, so hard. Uh, it, it's really hard to see who the player is who's going to be close to Sviontek in terms of this regularity um, of great form within the next two years for me. Next, we're going to talk about injuries. Alexander Zverev and Emma Raducanu. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Alexander Zverev revealed on Instagram today that he has had surgery. He also revealed a little bit about the full extent of his injury. Um, he flew to Germany to have surgery. Well, he flew to Germany to see some specialists on Monday. Um, they said he had torn three, all three lateral ligaments in his right ankle, which sounds incredibly painful. Uh, so he's had surgery. He says to return to competition as quickly as possible to ensure all the ligaments heal properly and to reclaim full stability in my ankle. Surgery was the best choice. My rehab starts now and I'll do everything to come back stronger than ever before. Um, not a surprise, George, to see him have surgery. I suppose we would guess that's him probably out for the meaningful season. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think he'll make Wimbledon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Going out on a limb there. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends to what degree the ligament damages, but anything around the I ankle, mean, it's you're all three thinking. of them, George. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, that, that, in which case you're kind of looking at, yeah, star next season, I'd have thought. You'd, at you'd best. think so, like, surely. Yeah, I mean, that could easily be a year if it's really bad. Dam- mm. I mean, we don't know what level of damage it is you know him saying it's all three could be mm. you know over egging the pudding a little bit it might be a slight strain on one but I'm, yeah presumably it's uh pretty horrendous and yeah it's a, i mean i would say it's a shame for him i'm not particularly a huge fan of the bloke but he was he's been playing good stuff i think he's played um pretty well was rising up to number two for the first time um so yeah it's i guess from a pure tennis perspective is a big blow for him um but yeah, I mean, it always strikes me as someone who looks a bit. I, I don't think he moves particularly well. I just think he's tall and can get places. Like he strikes me as someone who will always look a bit awkward on court, and like I just struggle to see him coming back fully properly. I don't know. I don't know. I just I've never had a really serious injury touch wood, and so I would. I just I don't really know how a sports person who's ever been through one ever gets back on the court ever again. Like, after that happens to you, you know, I mean, Calvin, you've worked with guys who've had big injuries. It must be such a mind twist to to come back and try and play again. Yeah, it is. I mean, just recently, I've had one. Um, Not as, like, I've said that, it's been out for four months. Mm. Um, Yeah, and it's more the little niggles. You know, you think that it kind of gets in your head because then you don't want to move so much in case you you cock it up a bit more or... Mm. And then you get like little niggles you have to have a little bit more something else done and fluid drained and that kind of thing it's just frustrating mm. it's just really frustrating yeah it'd be, it'd be interesting to compare luke's meniscus repair to mine <laughs> yeah. i'm sure he's getting better professional help looking at it mm. um yeah it, it's different you know the ankle's a rough one as well um yeah. especially in st- tennis yeah yeah because then you never really I know players who never really regain confidence in their ankles. And I know like you see a lot of paid players wearing ankle support and I know the physio physios almost to a man will always say that you shouldn't keep the ankle support on as soon as you don't no longer need it. You should take it off because your ankle then becomes dependent on it. Hmm. And if you keep it on for too long, you can never play without them. Um, and I think that's kind of been the case with Andy Murray because he plays with both of them them on mm. all the time. And it's not that the physios will always say because the players always go, well, wh- why not have the extra support? But the physios always say that it's not extra support. It's only the same support as a fully functioning ankle would give you. Um, but once you stop using them, the ankle de- becomes dependent and you keep it on forever then. I think in, in terms of kind of like Zverev's environment, as well like in terms of the tennis scene this this is a disastrous moment for him i mean he's literally just had the biggest slam win of his career by a mile taking out alcaraz he may well have got on to secure the se- an even bigger slam win although you two yeah. uh, severely doubt whether that would have happened but but he's in this kind of time gap right now where you're thinking about how what are the slams he's going to win and when's he going to win them? If Alcaraz continues developing like we think he's going to develop, and Zverev kind of admitted on court after beating him, he said, you know, it's a good job I beat you now because you're going to be killing the rest of us for the next 
10 years. You know, this is quite an important window, I think, for Zverev with like Nadal and Djokovic tapering slightly, struggling a bit more physically. Alcaraz maybe not quite there, but very, very close. You know, this is a real time for guys like Zverev, Sisabas to believe Medvedev, who's already won one, to think we're going to win these slams right now. You know, this could be a window shutter for Zverev if other guys develop. And if he doesn't come back fully confident, if you know, he could be out for a year easily with that sort of thing. You never know. And it, as Calvin says, when he comes back, could have many, many niggles. It's all ifs and buts, but it feels quite a significant moment in his career, really. It yeah, does. It, I mean, it did crack me up a bit, sort of saying that to Alcaraz, like, as what, 23? He's like, 25, it... <laughs> I think. 25, I think. 25. He's older even, than you think. Yeah. Even then, like, you'd think, you know, come on, give yourself a bit of bit of respect. Like... It is a weird situation for those guys, though. Like, Tsitsipas was asked about it um, after he lost to Holgerun, and, you know, it was quite direct, and it was a bit uncomfortable, and he said, well, look, I'm still hungry. Like, I'm still chasing here. Like, Yes, I'm being chased as well, but that's the position you want to be in. I'd much rather be being chased than to be the chaser, which makes perfect sense. And he's just in this kind of weird spot as well. But, but an, an awkward Stefano Sitsipas interview. That, that, doesn't seem, <laughs> that doesn't seem likely, does it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What 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 gen are these guys now? Is it the next 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 gen? Oh, what this this like Rude this and Alcaraz? Gen. I don't know. I don't know. There's something. They've got I a guess, rebrand, don't they? The rebrand well, I guess, I guess if we look at just those two, like they're both quite similar in that they're pretty like brash, and I mean not necessarily in a good or bad way. Just I think they're quite outwardly emotional um, and quite sort of unafraid to show that emotion on court. Where I feel like because Verev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev were the sort of pretenders to the throne, I think they almost felt a bit you know, deferential and a bit embarrassed about getting fired up against like Federer or Djokovic and Nadal. Alcaraz and Rune have none of that. Like there's not a deferential bone in Holger Rune's body. I think like he, he is perfectly happy to come out and be like, yeah, I'm here to win. And like, I think that's a hugely positive thing as well, by the way. While we're on the subject of Rune, because I've realized I didn't put it in the order of play. How good is it that we've got a kind of mini rivalry going in tennis again? Two blokes who hate each other. That's, yeah, I mean, I'm all for lovely. it. Like, we, we talked the other week about how we needed more Scandinavians at the top <laughs> of tennis, and now we've got two, and they seem to absolutely despise it's each superb. other. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, like, all, I'm entirely here. A bit of, it reminded me a bit of that, like, murray Vadasco gate after the US Open, this kind of locker room thing where you've got someone claiming... Someone's run over and done something terrible. Oh, and everyone's, like everyone's parents getting it. involved. I yeah, mean, I'm a um, huge fan of people's parents getting involved Come on, as well. first round Wimbledon or whatever they can meet. Having yeah, today seen Camille Georgie's dad up close and personal in the flesh for the first time. I'm, <laughs> I mean, uh, albeit he's not a great example because I think he probably shouldn't be allowed near a tennis court ever again. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm all for terrible parents in tennis. It provides, uh, within reason, I should point out. Um, it's, uh, it certainly provides drama. Uh, let, let's move on. Um, we talked about Alexander Zverev's injury. There's another injury we had to talk about at Nottingham today where I was courtside for 35 minutes of Emma Raducanu. Um She described it afterwards as a freak injury. Uh, she was playing Victoria Golubic, the Swiss world number 55. She got a cracking one-handed backhand, which I was actually more excited to watch, really, than Raducanu in some ways, because I've seen lots of Raducanu and I've not seen a lot of Golubic. Um, and sure enough, it was firing, but Raducanu wasn't. She pulled a something 
in her side, her left-hand side, uh, in the first game of the match. She called it a total free, absolute freak injury. She'd be feeling fine. Um, she requested the physio after the second game. She had a medical timeout at the first sit-down. She popped a couple of pills to see if that would help. And she got treatment at every sit-down after that. Um, she actually broke Golubic twice, uh, which was kind of a testament to maybe how good she could have been. She only held her own serve once in her four service games and then eventually the physio just said, look, it's going to be extremely difficult for you to do anything here. And she um, probably pretty wisely with, with a you know pretty important tournament coming up in three weeks, she, she withdrew. Um, <laughs> George, you were mentioning there's already an article up from just one random doctor saying, well, uh, she might, she's probably going to miss Wimbledon, almost certainly going to miss Wimbledon. Um, the the key from her press conference really was that she's no idea what it is because obviously she'd just come off court. But I can tell you that as she walked out, she was sort of swinging her right arm in a normal walking motion and wasn't moving her left arm at all. It clearly was very sore. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a pretty big worry. I mean probably about 20 days away from when she'd be playing a first round match at Wimbledon so that that's not really a great time frame um you know it's always really really hard to say with this sort of thing is like what grade of a tear it is if it is a tear or if it's just a pull or whatever I mean could it could be anything carrying on playing on it if it was a bad tear probably would, wouldn't be a great idea unless you're Novak Djokovic you can somehow sew himself oh, up on let's court. get into Novak Stop Djokovic's to again. abdominal um, tear <laughs> um, but yeah I mean look I think Calvin sent us around some odds earlier saying she's the second favourite for Wimbledon or something which I wouldn't have had her down as anyway but this probably will take a little chip off her odds and She's more likely to be ten to one. Will she be playing than ten to one winning it? I'd say. Mm. Um, she said she didn't know whether it was rib or intercostal or, or um, side strain. It was in that kind of general area. It was affecting her serve more than anything else. Um, albeit it was on her left hand side. Um, Calvin, you've seen this happen to players before, and I know that. Am I right in saying Emma had quite a sort of injury strewn junior career as well? Yeah, I think she's always been um, a bit. Not, not quite as robust physically as what she may have wanted to be. Um, always quite a lot of injuries when she was coming through. I don't know the severity of them or what, if whether it was one particular injury or what, but she always seemed to be winning something and then not play for a, a couple of months and then win something again and then not play for a couple of months. Has anyone calculated the rankings drop if she can't make Wimbledon? It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make any difference. She's losing her points anyway. <laughs> well, silly me. Well, either way, if we count it, well, then it's absolutely fine. She doesn't need to play. That's fine. No, um, I totally forgot about that. Well, actually, we might come on to it could be half the points she'd be keeping. Well, so what's the story here, George? Let, let's get on to this because there's not a lot more we can say about Emma Raducanu. She's going to have a scan and we await the results of that with interest. Um, so am I right in saying that the WTA are threatening or there is a story that the WTA might restore 50% points to Wimbledon this year. Yes, that was the story. I think there was, I can't remember who it was from the mail. It wasn't Mike Dixon. It was, a, I think, possibly just a news reporter mm. doing it. Um, which, funnily enough, actually can often mean it's more true because the news reporters really do have quite good links inside Wimbledon. At the well, mail. It's kind of also, because, because they're not going to like stick their oar into someone else's patch unless they're absolutely sure they've got it right. Um. And yeah, it was suggesting there's been negotiations going on. 
and it, it interestingly suggested the ATP aren't going to do the same, which would be quite a weird move from the WCA. I, I wonder if it's been somewhat charged by Osaka's comments and a desperate plea to try and get her involved. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. It's mm. mere speculation, but it's weird they'd come apart, you know, given tennis is meant to be so united and all that. But I don't really understand why they just aren't approaching this the same way and having the conversations together, but that's maybe wishful thinking. Would it make a difference? I mean, is Naomi Osaka going to play Wimbledon if they have half points? Like, is that think, is that enough points to make her interested? It, it, I, I think it would be because, you know, if she's genuinely talking about the most important thing to her is getting a ranking back up, you know, that's a Masters series event That's in terms of size. So it's it's still a big tournament in terms of the points you can get. So, yeah, I think that is potentially a swing. She says she's going to play the grass court events. I'm pretty sure she said during the French Open, didn't she? So mm. she may as well play she's a, on the, start the grass list court for Berlin, Masters. So, for example. Um, yeah, so I thought, you know, I, I, I was disappointed, obviously. We, we didn't really go into this that much because of the French Open and actually too much going on. But I was pretty disappointed anyway in the first place to hear someone like that say that because you you know you still want to be motivated to win a grand slam no one's going to remember at the end of your career oh god she didn't get those 2000 ranking points that year when she won wimbledon it's terrible they'd be like well she won wimbledon as mm. a grand slam it's massive like i don't think honestly i just don't think i know it's important to the kind of ecosystem etc but for the actual player winning the tournament i really think the ranking point should be pretty far down your concern and she's good enough to be one of the players who could win the title Mm. it's interesting i had a good chat with um liam Brody today uh who was quite outspoken about it on twitter or at least saying that the players should have had a vote and i kind of asked him about it to see if he wanted to tee off about it you know as, as you sometimes do and he he had clearly kind of had a more measured opinion at this point and he said well you know we're just professional athletes and we've probably all got self-interest at heart and I think if there'd been a vote, the same thing would have happened because everyone who gets into Manger or Wimbledon probably would have voted full ranking points and everyone else wouldn't have done. So we're probably as we are. And and interestingly, he said, although there would be fluctuations, the reality is that everyone in the top 250 is going to lose some Wimbledon points. So it's not as though you're going to lose, you know, a thousand points, whereas everyone else is losing none. You You might just fluctuate a bit I thought that wasn't a bad point, to be honest, because he's obviously going to lose, you know, forty-five points from last year because he made the second round. Um, I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it, but I suppose we await with interest to see um, exactly whether that comes. I mean, it should be pointed out the Wimbledon start list came out last week, and Naomi Osaka is still on it um, because she is not officially withdrawn. It is an automated list. Um, essentially, if you make the cut, which I think is one hundred and nine in the women's this year, uh, you are in into the list that is published and then you have to physically withdraw and the cutoff is obviously before, I think it's the start of qualifying so they've got another two weeks or just short of two weeks to, to make those withdrawals George did you want to say something? Just what, I just want to hear Calvin's views on half ranking points because I reckon he'll he'll be really pleased with that idea <laughs> No I think it's a nonsense like why if you're going to you've either got to have them or you haven't like mm. what what's the point in making it another master series? Like if, yeah. they, if, they, if, if, if there was a Masters... So there's talk about Queen's being a Masters series going forward. Would we would would we be... Would the British government be going, right, you can offer points for Queen's and not Wimbledon? Hmm. I don't... You know, I, they should have ranking points anyway. That's my position on it. But I just... It, I mean, it lit, literally, his half-assed. <laughs> like, that's the thing. I, I will say I'd be staggered 
if the WTA offer it and the ATP don't, because I think they've gone so big on having this joint position on the whole thing. But just a half points is just an absolute nonsense. It's a two-week yeah. event. It's a, it's a one to eight draw. It's a two-week event. Should have Grand Slam points. Mm. Yeah, you can't be half pregnant, as one of my friends likes to say. Carl. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what position it it defends that. I I, I just don't get it at all. What? Mm. Why would you have half and not all or none? I can I don't agree with having none, but I can see the argument. Yeah, I I think there should be full, but I can see the argument against it. I can't see any argument for half points. No, as you say, it's a compromise that suits no one. Just one slightly off-topic but vaguely linked point about the tours being united. It was also good to see the ATP say they're pulling out of China, which has been long overdue. Uh, yes, agreed. Um, I don't know if there's much more to add on that. We we kind of all agree with each other and no one needs to hear that. Um, let's move on to Andy Murray in a kind of um, stomping around way. Uh, he reached the semi-finals at Surbiton this week, or last week, I should say. He lost to Dennis Kudler, who, in fairness, is a man with a decent grass court pedigree, by all accounts. Um, I, I watched this, that semi-final on a dodgy stream from the Roland Garros press box. It looked an incredibly quick court. Uh, there weren't a lot of breaks of serve going on. I think Murray was winning something like 85% of points behind first serve, which tells you a lot about what was going on with the court. But I suppose he got four matches under his belt in the space of five days. And, George, that's probably pretty good for him at this point, isn't it? Yeah, and I think Kudler's a good opponent to start testing yourself out on the grass. I think he came... I think I'm pretty sure he went through qualies last year and then lost to Djokovic, didn't he? third round and beat your favourite Davidovich is that right? Alejandro Davidovich Fakina, the legend yeah. um, so look he, know, he knows how to play on the stuff um, yeah I think it's a funny one for Murray isn't it? He felt like he was in quite decent form before that illness suddenly again and then kind of come into the grass this is all the eggs in one basket but there's also a bit of a fear with him just as ever that you're just worried he's going to overdo it and then ruin Wimbledon so mm. you know he'll be flying through all these matches hoping to get a load of points and stuff but it's Wimbledon he wants to make the biggest impact so yeah I think it's a really interesting time to watch Murray and I think he'll go further than Raducanu at Wimbledon. There is a slim chance that Murray could be seeded for Wimbledon, which would be pretty amazing. Um, he's out in Stuttgart this week. He's already picked up one win. He's beaten Christian O'Connell to reach the next round. Uh, that win is going to take him up to 63 in the world. If he wins the whole tournament in Stuttgart, uh, he'll go up to around 35, which would, given the dropouts from the top you know, there's already three guys out from the top, or four guys, I should say, with Zverev, Medvedev, Rublev, and Hatchinov. That will probably be good enough to get him a seeding. Uh, it's not hugely likely, of course, but uh, nevertheless, it is possible. So, one to keep an eye on there. He's got Alexander Bublik in the next round, who I seem to think he's played quite a lot over the last two years, um, and he doesn't always particularly enjoy it. He lost. 7-6-6-3 in Indian Wells in what was quite an ugly game, but he beat him in Rotterdam. So, um, And, of course, beat him at Wimbledon five years ago. That's slightly less relevant. Public beat Dennis Kudler as well today. That could have been a rematch. So, also, you know who you know who Bublik's playing doubles with this week? 
Kyrgios, isn't he? Nick Kyrgios. Oh, that'd uh, be fun. Which is funny because Bublik played doubles with Tanasi Kokonakis at the French Open. <laughs> and we I asked Tanasi what it was like to play doubles with Bublik compared to Kyrgios. And he said, Nick's a bit more focused, which uh, tells you all you need to know wow. about Alexander Bublik. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, amazingly, Kyrgios will be the locked-in one of that pair. But they, they're already through the first round in um, in Stuttgart, so credit to These tough, tough guys to break. If on yeah, yeah. Side. In fairness, if if they are both reasonably locked in, you wouldn't want to um, you wouldn't want to mess with them. Which kind of segues us nicely into the most informed doubles pairing in the world, <laughs> which is Henry Patton and Julian Cash. Half of which is coached by our very own Calvin Beton. I, I had the pleasure of an in-person meeting with Calvin today. Uh, down at Nottingham, which I said this to you on on site, Calvin. Um, it, it's a lovely little event now. I mean, you know, it's an ATP Challenger and a WTA 250, and it's you know 11 quid for a ground pass. And on the first couple of days, you can see some really good tennis. Yeah, yeah, and it's quite busy today, wasn't it? Mm. Um, I think that probably had a bit of a Radicano effect. Yeah, uh, yeah, there, but yeah, I think you get a lot of local people there. It's quite a big tennis fan base in Nottingham. It's obviously mm. got a huge tennis centre there and a couple other centres as well. So. Yeah. Um, I, I sort of mentioned Pat Cash to blow smoke up you a little bit there, but, I mean, the, the lads have played really well. I think, how many matches unbeaten do you think it is now? That is 22, I think, right. today, uh, after today's win. Uh, they beat Nick Monroe and Alex Pop- Alexi Popper in 6-3, 6-3. I mean, just people won't necessarily know um, the two of them, but, but Henry in particular, I mean... You guys have been working together pretty much since the beginning of this unbeaten run, right? Which I'm, I'm not going to give you the credit for, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've I've been coaching him for about two or three months now. I right. Think. Okay. Um... Well, what is? I mean, for people who don't know him, I mean, I saw him for the first time today, and my first words were, "What a unit!" I mean, he is a big unit. He's he's obviously a big lefty. What are his kind of strengths in in doubles? Uh, he, Henry's a big lad, six foot six, left-handed, big serve, but he's a bit different from guys who are normally that size. He's got a lot of variety to his game, mm. too big ground. He's also got really, really nice feel, nice touch, and doubles, huge wingspan. Um, you got to work to get the ball away from him, and they follow Louis Caillet's doubles system as well. They've been very good at at following that to the to the letter, which leads to a lot of wins, as we mm. know. I, I believe they've either got the top seeds of Vavasori and Valkov or Kukukin and Milman, um, which sounds like two singles players who've ended up playing doubles together. I mean, I assume... So, so you, you often say that seedings in these events, certainly at futures level, are a bit misleading, but I'm guessing at challenger level, they're a bit more reliable. Uh, yeah, but a little bit, but in this one, every, everyone's so tight. So the yeah. second seeded pair, Ramanathan and, and J.P. Smith, uh, Henry and Julian beat them last week at Surbiton, right. where they were only seeded, I think they were seeded third or fourth there. Hmm. But I would say the overall depth of this tournament is, is a bit stronger than Surbiton. But um, but then there are there were some pairs in Surbiton who were playing in Stuttgart this week. So um, once you factor in the seat, like I say, that everyone's so close. And like, for example, today they beat um, Popperin and Nick Monroe. Popperin's obviously a very good singles player. Um, Jack Sox hovering in the draw who's been world number one doubles hmm. so yeah I was just going to ask Calvin like you mentioned kind of the Louis Kaya double system when you're coaching these guys well, I know you know Henry 
how much of that method is involved in your coaching or do you just kind of stick to the technical side of things for him? What, what, how, how do you coach a doubles player compared to a singles player? No, we don't, we'd always follow the system. Um, there's, it's, it's very prescribed and set out. There's a, a move and a shot for each situation. You follow the patterns. Um, and we always, and you can do that in doubles. So we always talk about that. That's what most of the discussion in coaching is. If this happens, do I do this? And I just have sometimes have to remind the lads or they'll want it clarifying. And it's, it's all, it needs, basically you can't, you can't sort of do a bit of the system. It needs following. It's kind of like Pep Guardiola's football system, I guess, <laughs> where if this happens, you do this. And if, if somebody breaks it, then the whole thing falls apart. So um, people, people who know Louis will know that he's quite an emphatic guy and quite no nonsense. I mean, does that mean that, when you were on court with him, for example, uh, maybe as you were this morning um, or this afternoon, I should say, with with Henry and Julian, does that mean you take a little bit more of a back seat and he kind of runs a session, or how does it work in kind of a collaborative sense? It's not that he runs the session because even the practices are pretty scrub subscribed, so I know how the practice will work, and then yeah. even when Louis's there, we'll do that. But it's the same the the session, the practice session, unless you need to work on anything particular the practice sessions tends to be the same every time you run it every mm. time you train so there's not a that never changes and then louis will louis will come in with some sort of technical advice and and some tactical advice but again it's it's all the stuff that we'd usually do anyway it's just him mm. that's saying it and it's just more of a, a different pair of eyes and obviously he's got he's he's got a presence when he's there as well. So um, <laughs> yeah, I guess when, when we're both there, I'd, I'd let he'd lead it a bit more just because we don't have him there all the time and yeah. they have, they have me there all the time. So we might as well make the most of that. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, and yeah, best of luck in the, uh, the quarterfinals and beyond. Yeah. Do keep an eye out for Pat and cash, which confused me today because I was asking about them at a desk to find out which court they're on. And then someone said, Pat cash is here today. Yes. And I was like, well, that is interesting, and I've just realised how amusing the doubles partnership name is. So, um... yeah, well, it's funny because somebody, when I was there watching with Louis, uh, a lady came was watching for about the first five games, and then she came over and was fully convinced that Julian was Pat Cash's son, uh, and, and <laughs> which, which is not otherwise. right. We told her otherwise, and she still wouldn't have it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's also vaguely amusing that you keep going on about them having to follow the patterns. Uh, yeah. there's a lot there's a lot of pun, there's a lot of punnage going on here i mean if they win wimbledon we're going to cash in on that headline um he, but... he makes that groan there but i know first thing he's doing tomorrow is cracking <laughs> that joke to henry and julia before the match i i can virtually guarantee that won't happen um let, let's move on very finally uh because we are running out of time uh we do need to congratulate our fantasy victors uh over the last couple of weeks uh if you're on the email then you will have already had a congratulatory email uh from me you can sign up for that every time we do a fantasy game just put your email address in and you'll get well about twice monthly updates from me i had an email i wouldn't say it was that congratulatory to me i think you well said no most George, people you, beat me i came out 50 46 that's not 46. most people i, I mean, beat three quarters of, of the field a lot of people beat you <laughs> um i congratulate nole uh who absolutely romped to victory actually 46.5 points compared to second Emphatic. second place age of alcaraz of 43 um a lot of points for holger rune 
uh, Coco Goff, Sloane Stevens as well, and no ducks, which I think is very impressive. Everyone picked up some points, even Novak Djokovic, who I'm assuming Nole supports. Uh, in third place, because we do allow Russians, we're not like Wimbledon, uh, Skushtina uh, picking up third place, and then a whole group of people in fourth. Diego Punt Break, Ben Matchpoint Canada, Big Bods 1, all tied for fourth. Uh, anyone else with a top 10? Feeling 22, The Onliners, Team <laughs> Ross, and someone called James Gray Tennis Expert, <laughs> which actually was me, and uh, yeah, probably if you name your team that, you uh, you need to do quite well. Did you actually put Calvin's ranking in the email? I've not actually seen this, but I would very much like to know his final ranking. It was officially 75th. Which, you know, is pretty... That's not that bad. It's not too bad. Could have been a lot worse. It just started badly, and then the less said about the middle, the better, and then it kind of tailed off. Um, but yeah, he's... It was a rush team, I know. I know Calvin I, was... I didn't get to do it. I didn't look at the draw. Oh, like... <laughs> That is bold. Rushing to get it in. Uh, yeah. but I would urge anyone who does it for Wimbledon to look at the draw, which is out on <laughs> Friday at 10 a.m. before. I so... often find it doesn't help me. So... <laughs> well, the thing is, Wimbledon, you've got a full weekend because the draw comes out. I don't open the game till after the draw. Draw comes out Friday at 10 a.m. and obviously play starts Monday at 11 a.m. So you've got a full like 72 hours. That's why the French is the hardest. I think there is too much pressure on that weekend. There's too yeah, much going on. You've you only can, got you, just, you panic. Yeah, it's not a lot of time. Um, but thanks to everyone who played, uh, and best of luck. It will be open for Wimbledon again two weeks on Friday. I'll be opening that particular spreadsheet, which means I've only got two and a half weeks to build it. Um, George, have you got any other business? Very quickly. James, I actually have one question for you. Are you going to tell us your little grass court season this year? Are you going to be bouncing around much? I know you've been to Nottingham today. Been to Nottingham today. Uh, I'm not. I suppose I am to an extent. I'm not going to be at every day of all of them. Uh, yeah, I was up at Nottingham today. Had some really nice time with um, Liam Brody and Sonny Cartel and uh, Maria Sakari as well. So um, watch out for those interviews. In yeah, I mean it was a pretty good day actually, and I also had an ice cream, and you know it was all expenses, so even better. Uh, and then I am going to go to Queens uh, and I will nip down to Eastbourne for a day or two, probably just to do a couple of interviews and see a little bit of tennis and maybe visit my grandmother, who presumably lives down there. And there's a I great mean, media meal at Eastbourne, James. That's one of the lovely perks that you I've, have. George, I've already heard about your behaviour at the <laughs> Eastbourne media meal. I don't think Gigi Salmon's ever recovered. Um, but that's maybe less said about that, the better. Uh, that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks very much for listening. Do leave us a rating and a review wherever you get them. Uh, and I promise I will read the mailbag next week. Podcast Network.